0: Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wyo Lee, and you are listening to a special episode of Sex Stories, an update from a past guest who is here today to talk about her new projects focused on sexy adult education, my favorite, sex ed reboot, and confidential consult. She is a 44-year-old physician in private practice who helps clients cultivate honest conversations about healthy human sexuality. A solo polyamorous free agent and a passionate advocate of maternal and child health, integrative approaches to wellness that support our whole lives, including our sex lives, and consensual non-monogamy, she is also a writer, model, and sex-positive educator. Originally from episode 224, Erotic Audacity, Wellness, and Luxury, welcome back, Dr. Amber Hull.
1: Thank you so much for your generous introduction. It's so nice to be here again.
0: I am so happy to be here with you in person. Can you start off by telling our sweet listeners... If you had to rate yourself today on a sexual shameometer, where do you fall if ten is the highest and one is the lowest and why?
1: I can't I can't remember what my first answer was. It doesn't, was. Matter. It uh, doesn't I, matter. This so, is
0: just for anyone who's listening and we just check in. And because, you know, in sex we constantly check in, right? Yeah. Like it's always an ongoing conversation.
1: Absolutely. So I would say probably a two or a three. I've gotten much more comfortable in sort of being out, if you will, about being ethically non-monogamous because I don't feel like that's anything that I necessarily need to hide in order to keep other people comfortable. And in fact, it's a gift and you've been getting asked to
0: speak and teach more because of your willingness to be open, which we're going to hear about in a second. But first, yeah, give us an overview. What
1: is Sex Ed Reboot? What is Confidential Console? Where do you want to start? I'll start with Artemis Luxury Wellness, which the whole concept behind that is facilitating conversations about mindful human sexuality and like how we approach other people and how we engage in relationships in a healthy way. So sex ed reboot, it's all of the things you never learn in sex education as a child. And so I've been having this conversation increasingly with people because in my family, we didn't talk about human sexuality. Like my sister didn't even get an, and I didn't even get a talk from our parents about Periods and like breast development. Like it just was something that was so shrouded in shame, which I think in my generation, I know I'm older than you, like it just wasn't talked about. We're not talking about it in school. Many families aren't talking about it or weren't at the time. And so now we have this generation of parents and grandparents who are raising children and trying to break the mold and are really doing things differently and questioning the social prescription in ways that previously hadn't been done. And so Sex Ed Reboot is talking about, you know, all of the sexually transmitted infections and prevention and vaccination and, you know, new medications that have really been shown to decrease the incidence of transmission of these infections. But also importantly, like, let's talk about hormones. Let's talk about neurotransmitters. Let's talk about the role of pharmaceuticals and how antidepressants can suppress not only libido, but can suppress orgasm because of their suppressive effect on serotonin. And so Sex Ed Reboot goes into all of the science and medicine behind some of the very problematic sexual things that come up in the course of relationships. Mm. So Sex Ed Reboot was a live webinar that I did with another physician based in New York, Dr. Christina Booth. So we did have a, a quote unquote live Zoom audience at the time, but we recorded it and it's now up on YouTube. You can go to the YouTube channel for Artemis Luxury Wellness and view Sex Ed Reboot in its entirety. Amazing. Yeah, it's about an hour, and nobody left during the course of the live teaching session, which tells me that it was engaging enough that people actually stuck around. And the feedback that I've gotten on it has been overwhelmingly positive, both from the lay community and from other physicians who were either in attendance or watched it later. Who Many of whom were like, you taught me stuff that I didn't learn in medical school, or this is new data that I had no idea. And they're now advising patients like about DoxyPep, for example, where they weren't aware of it before. Tell and our listeners who aren't aware of it. Cause I was not aware of DoxyPep until you told me about it. Right. So doxycycline or DoxyPep is a medication. Doxycycline is an antibiotic that's been around for decades. Um, It's safe and effective for use and treatment from everything from Lyme's disease to just a a host of other bacterial infections. Where it comes into play in terms of sexual wellness is that there was a study that was done out of UC San Francisco. I want to say it was in like 2020, 2021. And what they did was they gave 200 milligrams of doxycycline to the study population within 24 to 72 hours of unprotected sexual encounter. And that includes, like, condomless oral sex, right? Because not very many people use barrier protection with oral sex. They followed the study... we could
0: normalize it because... It is pretty hot, just saying.
1: Yes. <laughs> All ways to play are fun, but safety is super fun. Okay. Well. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And and this is one of the things that is important with Pet because if you have an unprotected encounter of whatever nature, taking those 200 milligrams of doxycycline was shown in the study population to decrease the transmission of gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis okay. by like to a tune of like 50 to 80%. So you're 50 to 80% less likely to... Get gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis either orally, rectally, or vaginally. Well, I'll put a pin in that with taking doxycycline after an unprotected encounter. Now, the caveat to this is that the study population was men who have sex with men. Got it. So, 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 <laughs> so efficacy in vagina owners is not is yet. not yet proven. So there is not any conclusive data on its benefit in women, people who own vulvas and vaginas. Because of the study. There was one study that was done on cis women in another part of the world where the data was not shown to be efficacious. Mm. Like it, it was not shown that it decreased the rate of transmission for cis women. But when they went back and analyzed the data, the study population was not like adherent with the medication regimen so they oh. weren't like they weren't taking the pills That's and they were like oh well we didn't study yeah we didn't <laughs> we didn't see a benefit well yeah it's because your study population wasn't following the instructions humans? that you humans right that you <laughs> laid out for them and so right now there is no recommendation for its use in cis women simply because of a lack of data Got it. okay good to know damn do we need to worry about, you said it's an
0: antibiotic, correct? Right. So for people who maybe don't like taking antibiotics or are concerned about the fact that like, if maybe if you take more antibiotics, maybe we're creating some sort of like super gonorrhea, super chlamydia situation.
1: Like how does that factor in? Right. So you're talking about antibiotic resistance and there are a couple of different things with antibiotics. So the question is, how is it going to affect my gut flora? Like, am I going to be perpetually wiping out the gut microbiome, which also has effects on the nervous system and the endocrine system and the immunologic system. But there hasn't been data to suggest that. And it's if you're doing a one-time dose of 200 milligrams of doxycycline versus a seven or 10-day course of ceftriaxone or azithromycin or even doxycycline, which can be used in treatment doses for 10 days Mm. to treat STIs. If you're doing a one-time dose for prevention, you're going to be less likely to contract an infection that's going to require an entire course of treatment. So the thinking is is that you'll actually decrease antibiotic resistance because you're decreasing the rates of transmission like from a global standpoint.
0: Okay. And from a standpoint of someone who is concerned about health from a truly holistic perspective, we might prescribe conversations and testing ahead of time if you're planning to play bear with someone, right? Right. <laughs> like, like, rather than just my personal soapbox is like, rather than normalize taking pills, maybe we normalize clear communication and conversation and testing. Is there, right?
1: Because like, Right. That's, and I touched on this in Sex Ed Reboot, too. Go is, watch it, go watch yes, it. Go, Artemis go Luxury go. Wellness on YouTube. Absolutely. So there are... A fair number of people who either don't have access to a primary care physician, don't have insurance, or are uncomfortable asking for that kind of testing because either they're in an open relationship or they're married and playing with special guest stars Mm -hmm. or whatever reason that they're apprehensive about having these conversations with their doctors. There are commercial labs available, and you can go online and just request a comprehensive STI screening Mm -hmm. with places like Hello Wisp and Cleared and Talent Testing. Like there are so many different commercial labs available for confidential screening and treatment. And yes, that's a very important conversation to have. I mean, we have, you know, the ubiquity of hookup apps and hookup culture is a thing. But from my standpoint, like I don't want to shame anybody's sexual practices. Like I'm a strong proponent of non-monogamy and having a healthy sex life. But Part of that is taking responsibility for your health and disease prevention and having a grown-up conversation with your partner. And if you have HSV, disclose because people have been sued for hundreds of thousands of dollars for transmitting herpes simplex virus without disclosing that they had the infection up front. So, yes, we need Mm -hmm. to normalize the conversation about this because, you know, part of consent – is understanding what you're exposing yourself to. Yeah, And here in Los Angeles, at least, the AHF
0: Foundation does free testing. So Mm -hmm. you can go there and get free accessible care for anyone who needs it. And Mm -hmm. I know that there are places online that people can find local accessible resources. And hopefully someday we can get like an accessible – no, hopefully someday – How fucking cool would it be if – this is just a a noodle whim – but, like, how cool would it be if to be on the hookup apps, you had to have monthly testing and that were, like, just covered if you are alive and an adult, you know? Like, that would – I mean – And then we get into conversations about minors. Is there even STI testing available for minors? Yes. In in
1: ways that are not shamey or like do they have to have parental consent? No. Okay. Adolescents do not have to have parental consent for STI testing, pregnancy testing. Those things are 100% on the table. And we learn about that in medical school. If an adolescent comes to me, and I, I tell my adolescent patients this, if you come to me and you say that you want a screening I'm not going to ask you reasons why. Good. I'm going to make sure you're okay, right? Like just a check in. But adolescents don't have to have parental consent for that. And the Health District of Southern Nevada also does because I'm based in Las Vegas. Yeah. So the Health District of Southern Nevada does STI screening and PrEP and treatment as well. Love that. Fucking love that.
0: So tell us about Confidential Consult. What is it? what are you doing? How can people engage? What do we have to look forward
1: to? I might have a sneak peek. <laughs> yes. So I'm really excited about confidential consults. And as you said, as I've sort of had the courage to come out and say, like, I question monogamy as a social construct and it's not something that I buy into. It's not a social prescription that fits well for me, at least at this particular season in my life. And as I have gotten honest, both with myself and with other people about that, more and more people are coming to me and being like, hey, so um, I am recently divorced or – you know, we are reevaluating the terms of our monogamy agreement. And we think we might want to invite very special guest stars in, or, you know, I'm just sort of out here in the wilds of the dating world. And, you know, how, how do I go about finding someone else who's ethically non monogamous, because I don't want to coerce someone into dating me under the false pretenses. And, you know, I am increasingly having both single people and couples come to me and ask questions. And I'm like, you know, I feel like I am uniquely equipped to have these conversations with people because of my history in medicine. And, you know, as flawed as our healthcare system is and as flawed as medical education is and as much as it falls short in these arenas, I have many years at this point of having very difficult conversations with people yeah. about you know everything from pregnancy complications to death to cancer diagnoses to treatment and testing of insert condition here to disabling illnesses like I I'm able to have uncomfortable conversations in a way that's sensitive to the human being in there that goes beyond, you know, this is the science, this is the medicine. I can explain that stuff all day long. But consulting with someone over renegotiating the terms of their relationship or the sex life is a very sensitive topic. Yeah. And because I have all of this medical training, I feel like I can coach people through that through a combination of my medical training and my personal experience
0: there you go. okay so because in that list of all the things that you have experience with you actually didn't say any of the things that i in my brain was guessing about so without revealing anything you're not comfortable revealing i mean could you tell our listeners a little bit about what in your personal life makes you awesome at navigating these conversations because like i do have personal knowledge i'm gonna let you disclose your own information but like you're really good at thinking through a lot of these conversations. And I have been sitting here asking you, like, but how do you say this? But how do you say that? But how do you have this conversation with this type of person? So, like, could you maybe give a frame to our listeners to help understand why specifically a confidential
1: consult might be helpful and who the people are who have approached you for this? So in my own personal experience, I've been in two long-term, sexually exclusive, monogamous relationships in my adult life. One of which over the course of time became sexless and resentment built up and simmered as a result of that disconnect in our physical intimacy, which I think is incredibly common, especially after the birth of a child.
0: I hear Um, that resentment
1: loop all the
0: time. I hear it from all the time. And then I'm like, oh, do you want to talk to each other? And they're like, no, I just want it to be different. And I'm like, I don't know how to help you. Right. Go talk to you.
1: Yes. (laughs) And I can put that sort of like – Dissolution of intimacy into the framework of, you know, what else is going on in your life? What other stressors are there? You know, how are your hormones tanking after the delivery of a baby? And how are your medical conditions? How are your medications you know, impacting those things. Are you
0: sleeping? Are you exercising? What kind of food food are do you, you
1: eating? Eat? How much are you drinking? Are you using recreational substances? And do what- you smoke? Do you
0: smoke tobacco? Do you smoke weed? Are you trying to conceive and you're smoking weed? That's hard.
1: Yes. So going back to my personal experience with this, I understand what it's like to lack physical intimacy within the context of a monogamous relationship. My last monogamous relationship ended in 20, like on the cusp of 2015 going into 2016. And it was at that point that I was like, you know what, I don't want this for myself. This is not like, I don't want cohabitation. I don't want, you know, the majority of the domestic and emotional labor of this relationship to fall on me simply because I'm a woman, Mm. you know, which I think happens not uncommonly in heterosexual relationships where the majority of the emotional and domestic labor falls on women. And that can affect our sexuality or our sexual desire, our libido. Yeah. Yeah. I I hear from heteronormative couples that are, where the
0: guy's like, I don't get it. Why does she want to fuck me? And the woman's just like, I'm exhausted and I'm still trying to empty the dishwasher and he's fondling me. (laughs) It's like, sir, have you ever thought about emptying the dishwasher and helping out
1: and not being ordered to do so? Right. Absolutely. But even, you know, shouldering some of the burden of domestic labor doesn't necessarily entitle you to access to your partner's body. Like there's more, so much more to it than that. So
0: I'm hearing a lot of what you realized you didn't want. And since then, I happen to know that you have a lot of information about your
1: do wants. Mm -hmm. So how did, what was your process like for kind of like uncovering that? So for a long time during training, I just like relationships weren't on my priority list. But over the course of the last two years, I was sort of introduced to ethical non-monogamy in a way that wasn't necessarily ethical in the way that it happened to me, Mm -hmm. right? Like I was basically used as a pawn in someone else's sexual fantasies. And it was like, he was pulling the strings and saying, I want you to do this. I want you. And I, and I went in and did those things consensually. But at the end of the day, the relationship was very controlling. A certain type of growing experience. Right, exactly. And so I increasingly, am having women coming to me and being like, hey, you know, my partner's interested in this type of fantasy. I'm interested in it. I'm engaging in this consensually. How do I go about this in a way that is, you know, sparking his erotic imagination in a way that's playful and fun for him, but that's also nourishing to me and protective of my autonomy, my mental health, my physical health. And I think that, you know, having had the experience of being being brought into the lifestyle of non-monogamy, non-ethically, I can lend a little bit of guidance for people who are just starting out. And also you have a lot of experience with ethical non-monogamy
0: like personally you're kind of skating around is that on purpose like am I poking? no oh, okay Cause, no because I'm like like you have so much actual knowledge and right. you have given us so far like the backstory of the what didn't work for you mm-hmm. and I really see you as a valuable resource for you know wisdom and learnings for things that do work I would love if you could
1: tell people about the phrase joy friend which I learned from you. yes yeah so as I've been exploring my own relationship dynamics and what works best for me. So I've done a lot of reading on polyamory. I've done a lot of reading on, you know, the swinger community and no strings attached sex and hookup culture and, you know, all of these different things. And for me, solo polyamory fits because I'm not interested in intertwining my domestic life or finances with a romantic partner. Mm -hmm. And when I say free agent, I make decisions on my own about who I engage with and how and when and where and under what circumstances and all of those things are subject to renegotiation. But if someone expresses some sort of romantic or sexual interest in me, that's always the first card that I play. Like, monogamy is not on the table. Yeah. And if you are interested in engaging with me, you have to understand that that is not going to change, at least not in the foreseeable future. on the table is,
0: if you want to engage with me, are you willing to actively co-create a unique relationship where we find our overlap that we can play in? Right. Because I like having a life where I live alone and Take care of my own shit and don't, you know, and Mm -hmm. do. Oh wow, it is hard to talk and do sometimes, (laughs) Mm -hmm. especially when we've had so many pokey don't experiences.
1: (laughs) Right. So I, I don't like the term boyfriend or girlfriend. You know, it seems like a little pejorative to me. But like the people who are in my life are here, not because we're meeting a certain sort of like relationship milestones and not because they're being coerced and not because they signed a contract that they would never leave, right? Like the people who are in my life are here because they're contributing something positive. They make me a better version of myself, and I do likewise for them. And that's where the term joy friend comes from. It's like, you know, you have your playmates, you know, and your friends with benefits or whoever, you know, you're engaging with on that level. But like for me, a joy friend rises to the level of like, this is someone that I check in with intellectually and emotionally. And I check in and see how their day was and like how things are going with work and like if they have upcoming medical things and you know and i'm aware of the other person or people in their life and so they're friends who bring joy to my life in a very special way i love that i think that's so sweet
0: lovers we are going to take a quick pause for a word from our sponsor and they have given me notes to do a sultry female voice so i'm very excited and i'm going to do my best Did you know the Flora app is a safe place to open up, embrace your desires, and find like-minded people? This is the story of one couple who found the threesome of their dreams, discovered a new level of shared passion, and stepped into a whole other realm of possibilities, all thanks to Flora. As life's routine settled in, Robert and Lucy found themselves yearning to explore uncharted territories, so they downloaded Flora and embarked upon a thrilling journey of sensual experimentation learning more about each other's desires in the process. Open-minded and adventurous, Robert and Lucy dreamt of adding a new dimension to their intimacy, sharing the touch of another woman, being witnessed and connecting in a way that transcends the ordinary. In Fleur's diverse and accepting community, Lucy connected with Emily, a babe craving the same experiences, so they invited Robert to the conversation. The chemistry built and anticipation heightened as they exchanged messages, until finally their agreed-upon date night arrived. A gorgeous hotel was the setting for their evening of pleasure, passion, and connection, a shared exploration that fulfilled each party's desires. Floor app celebrates the beauty of open-minded connections. It's a platform where fantasies come to life and desires are embraced without judgment. For couples seeking adventure with others or individuals keen on exploring, Floor invites us all to a world where every desire is a possibility waiting to unfold. Download Floor now. Express your desires freely and find like-minded people today. Okay, so if a listener out there was like, "Mm, "I want a joy friend," Mm, "I want to talk to my partner, husband, wife, etc." about like maybe bringing in a what did you call it? I forgot. A very
1: special guest star. A very special (laughs) guest star. A very
0: special guest star. A very special guest star. Yeah, (laughs) I love being. Just side note, I love being a special guest star. A very special guest star. But Also sometimes it's overwhelming to be to feel so special mm-hmm. and I also really love creating frameworks where other I mean this isn't about me but like where I am what would it, what would a very okay just help me noodle on this term and then I'll get back to my question mm-hmm. if a very special guest star has the specific function of coming in to celebrate a relationship but doesn't want to receive all of the attention all the time because they are deeply a service submissive what would we call that that sounds really good I still think a very special guest star That is- sounds like too much attention for someone who's scared of attention. But okay, I see your point. A quiet special guest star. <laughs> <laughs> I literally had an experience recently. Can I tell you about it? Absolutely. Recent, okay. Please. So I – yeah, I just – I've talked about this a little bit, but like I, it just keeps coming back to me because I'm like a- giggling because like everything I wanted was coming true and I was like between these two lovers and it was so beautiful and I was like – Oh my god, it's so much, it's so much, it's so much. I'm like, I thought I was gonna explode because yes. I was receiving so much. And I will say, update since then, since the first time I shared that. I have recently had another threesome, and I was like, oh my god, this is my life. This is so amazing. But I but I had noticed how my receiving level had shifted, or like, I don't know if it was circumstance, if it was time, if it was sleep level. Just go throw that out there. Okay, okay. So returning to my question: someone is interested in getting a confidential consult in having some one-on-one help to figure out maybe even what their next steps are. What are the first steps to working with you? What does it look like? Is that another kind of like co-create this working relationship as we go? Or what could I expect if I was like, Dr. Amber Hall, I need a confidential consult? And do you offer it to singles as well as couples? That's a long question, but I think you got it.
1: Yes. And I I want to just put a pin in threesomes are one of the most common fantasies in the yeah. American psyche. Yeah. So I want to normalize that. To it's like, you know, this is not something that's like terminally unique.
0: Not at all. In Dr. Justin LaMuller's book, and he has a little exhibit in the Museum of Sex in Vegas, which... Maybe just read the book.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it's a very good book. <laughs> and I went to that museum and I'm saying maybe just read his book um, or listen to his podcast. You know, it's it's group sex.
1: Mm-hmm. BDSM. Um, BDSM. And which I'm like, novel that's a experiences. Category. New places, yeah. new things, new people, new all of it. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So, so say people are interested in exploring. What's the first step to getting a confidential consult? So you can go to my website, www.artemisluxurywellness.com, and you can sign up there or send an email requesting a confidential consult and book time, essentially, with me, whether it's one-on-one time or two-on-one time. I'll talk to couples. I'll talk to singles. I'll talk to queer folks and married folks. And wherever you're coming from, let's just have a conversation about what you're seeking Mm -hmm. and why. And envisioning how you're going to get there and what steps you need to take in order to protect yourself, be mindful of your partner or partners, and what resources are available. Because, again, as I've put myself out there and started having a lot of conversations and being invited to a lot of tables and events, I can make some recommendations on websites to start with, apps to start with educational resources to start with, health-related, like how to find a doctor who's not going to give you a hard time about the questions that you're asking. But I need to know, like, where do you live? Are you cis? Are you straight? Are you married? Like, I need to do a little bit of information gathering before I can make a set of recommendations and point you in the right direction. Otherwise, it's like Alice in Wonderland and like where – where am I going? Well, which direction should I go? Well, where are you trying to get to? You know,
0: That's how I feel in my whole life. Okay. So people just email you to book time. Do you want that information ahead of
1: time or is that what you talk about during the session? So people can just book a time slot with me and I have been doing medical information gathering for over a decade now. So I can gather the information and facilitate the conversation from there. Awesome. Okay. So what... In your work
0: and or personal life, are you hoping to grow going forward? Like, what are you excited about? What are you exploring? What other sexy things are on your horizon? And that could be anything you want,
1: speaking, Artemis stuff, et cetera. So I am looking at starting a podcast. And I really want to facilitate conversations between other medical people, scientists, other doctors especially lady doctors who are interested in women's sexual health people who are interested in integrative medicine people who are who work with children because this is a, another conversation that i think as a pediatrician is so important is how do we provide developmentally appropriate information to minors about their bodies about how their bodies are going to be changing about You know, being respectful of other people's bodies and consent. And as we move into adolescence and access to pornography on cell phones, you know, many 12-year-olds. It's so
0: crazy that it's so easy to access porn, but you can't access sex ed on TikTok. Like, I mean, you there's some of it, but it's spelled wrong. It's unclear. There's so many euphemisms. Like, it's so – I have trouble navigating it. But those are good questions. And anyone listening – Beyond Birds and Bees by Bonnie J. Ruff is my favorite book that sort of very thoughtfully explores like, oh shit, how do I understand privacy? How do I teach my kid about privacy while also not shaming them? How do I do something, especially when it's non-normative views? And it's very much informed by
1: her experience with the Netherlands. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They do a great job of normalizing human sexuality. And it's just like, this is a, a normal part of life and it's yep. an important part of life and how we educate children. And like, again, taking away that shame factor because like I managed to give myself my first orgasm at six years old, yep. but you know, there was this a culture of shame and there still is Oh yeah. that how we educate children is going to affect how they interact with adults <laughs> for the rest totally. of their lives. So like how do we have these conversations in a way that's sensitive to their needs and, again, like, elicits feedback from them because kids are like, oh, God, I don't want to hear about this from you right now, Dad. Right. You know, but if you make that accessible or if you're like me and authoritative as much as I hate that word, like a a position of an educator or a coach in the lives of children. A resource. Right. A resource. A trusted resource. A much better. Advisor. Yeah. yeah. Advocate. Yeah. Yeah. How do we equip kids to enforce their boundaries and negotiate what they want in a way that removes the shame of yeah. the leader.
0: And to also sort of be flexible and loving towards ourselves in the times where we are experimenting and just learning. Mm. Because I think some of the things that have come up in my conversations with people are it's sort of this like idea of like, I should have known what I would want ahead of time. It's like, well no, that's the process of wanting And exploring and trying, and then you decide. It doesn't mean you're bad for not liking something, for trying something that you thought you wanted, and then you found out something. That's just the process.
1: Right. I did that with monogamy. Yeah. I tried it. I didn't like it. It's not for me. (laughs) And I wonder
0: how many other people have that exact same experience, but maybe don't have the social support or the resources or the community to whatever. Courage. Courage to go forth and be like, actually, this monogamy thing doesn't work for me. I want something different, you know? And I too have been coerced into monogamous relationships at a time where I wasn't able to be like, yeah, so, okay, if the only way for me to keep seeing you is monogamy, bye. I had so much fun. You know, like like when I was 24, I was like, oh, okay, I'll try it. You know, and then I cheated on that person because I was so resentful and it was a whole
1: learning lesson and here we are now right infidelity is the leading cause of divorce worldwide and there are so many people again like in my generation and older who were just like it wasn't if you were going to get married it was why aren't you married by the time you're 30 or when are (sighs) you having kids okay
0: i just went on a date with a very nice gentleman from the south and he was talking about his past marriages and i was like why did you get married again he was like oh it wasn't even like A question. It was just what you did where I was from. And I think, like, it is very normal where I'm from to get married and Mm -hmm. at young ages. However, I moved to Los Angeles. You know, it's only a few hours away. And I just didn't realize how strongly people are bound to cultural expectations and norms until I started having more conversations. And people are like, oh, I feel so I can be honest with you. Oh, I feel like not judged by you. Oh, I feel like permission to be myself around you. And I'm like, hang on a second, you guys. Let me get this straight. All of you that I'm hearing from are feeling this way. And you still don't want to make a different choice. And you're all asking me how to make a different choice. I think the answer is just make a different choice. But I also understand that there's something I don't understand about social norms and, like, constraints on society. And even you have to deal with a piece of that, right? As a professional, absolutely. my understanding of the reason that you're not more specific about the details of your personal life in the ways that I am, mm-hmm. it's not because you don't enjoy sharing that part of yourself with trusted friends. Right. It's more that, like your license is at risk or something? There's like some moral clauses being a doctor, et cetera, and like social stigma around
1: it too. Well, it's it's not necessarily that the medical board is going to hunt me down and like ask me about my history of three-way play. It's more about like, you know, there are certain things that my patients may not want to know about me. Or that my patient clients' families may not want to know about me. And so I'm still, this is, and it's an evolutionary thing. Like I'm talking much more freely about my experiences now than I was two years ago. Right, right. And that may continue to evolve. But, you know, everyone has a lens through which they view the world. And so I want to be protective and mindful of how other people view me. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I'm not really so much about laying my, kink cards on the table yeah, because I do want to be mindful of, like, people who are like, I wish I didn't know that about you. (laughs) But what do you think the world would be like if
0: everyone who was basically just, like, held back by fear of some sort of professional repercussion – Like, what if we lived in a world where people were like, no, no, I can handle what I'm going to pay attention to you about and not. And also, I'm also going to know that, like, if you are a kinky motherfucker and I don't vibe with your kinks, we don't have to fuck. And that's cool. You know, and we can still be regular people. Because I personally have run into zero issues. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm an artist. I'm in a privileged space. It's not that I'm not getting censored on Spotify and those platforms, but that has nothing to do with me personally. That's AI-like and and. I imagine, you know, some internet trolls that are like fucking with our star ratings, you know, but there's no people out there, not a single person, even when I've told them the deepest depths of all of my explorations, yourself included, Mm -hmm. that have actually put judgment in my direction. And so, and I know I'm, again, I hear that I'm unique, but I'm also just like. There's a lot of people out there that I wonder what would happen if we just had a revolution. What do you? How do you think it would affect our lives?
1: I think it would war would be much less ubiquitous. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> people, people would, would just, be busy fucking, right? Like, <laughs> as, and this is something like it's a topic that crosses like political and social and economic I didn't boundaries. Need to be so like, political, the overwhelming majority of people, unless they are asexual, are interested in having their fantasies fulfilled and receiving pleasure and giving pleasure. And, you know, so talking about it in a way that like normalizes it, like, yes, you can be a mother and a lover. And in fact, you must be a lover in order to become a mother. mother. Hopefully there's love there, but there's so pleasure there. Yes. There's so much of the Madonna whore complex that's still like baked into our society that I have had women who were like, (gasps) but I'm a mother, you know, I like, and also lady, your kid's going to fuck someday <laughs> unless
0: they are ace, like, and, you know, unless they make that choice for themselves consciously. And I also have talked to asexual people who still were like, you know, you got to give yourself space to figure it out. You got to try mm-hmm. something. You don't have to, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. A lot of the new generation's not <laughs> That's right? fine too. Mm-hmm. However, I wonder if there are deeper reasons to it, you know? So in your perfect world, what would
1: sex ed look like? So probably much like the Netherlands, although I haven't studied there. I wanted to yeah, sign up for know. Justin Lehmiller's course. We should go to course. Nemo. We should
0: go to yes. Nemo together and go to the museum there because they have a sex ed museum. And I'm kind of obsessed with going to all the sex museums and learning about them. But that's the, like, science education one that has yes. shocked some American people who wrote about it. On yes.
1: Log. Let's. I'm, sign me Let's up. Let's do it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so I think the other countries – are doing this much better than we are. And I think that a lot of that has to do with our sort of like puritanical, patriarchal foundation here and that we would rather have a list of banned books than actually equip people to navigate some of the most emotionally and physically intense relationships in their lives. It's like this is a conversation that makes us as a society in the United States very uncomfortable. And so I think that just normalizing it and talking with children honestly and without shame about how to keep their bodies safe and how to anticipate changes in their bodies and how to help them – Make other people feel safe in terms of consent. Yeah. That's what I would change about sex education. And
0: imagine if those conversations were happening in a safe container where young people knew that they had trusted advisors, adults with experience to go to, even just having that relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. I imagine, would help people navigate the confusing moments. I didn't have anyone to talk about sex with when I was young until I got a Swedish exchange student. She was just one year older than me and was very still tight-lipped about certain things, but I, but would tell me information if I, like, peppered with questions, you know. And I only wonder what my life would have been like if I'd had just more resources from people who were comfortable with my curiosity.
1: Right. And going back to your question about adolescence accessing STI testing and, like, pregnancy testing and this type of thing. Like, I have conversations with my adolescent patients routinely and before they go off to college. Yeah. And, like, we talk about IUDs and, like, we talk about how you can get gonorrhea and chlamydia in your throat. Yes, you yes, can. In you your eyes. Also, HSV.
0: Yes. The, the doctors have all look at me like I'm crazy. And they're, and literally some of them have been like, how? How mm-hmm. did you get it in there? And I was like, I'm I'm special, I guess, you know. Yeah. Deep throating. I like it. I don't know. It was vigorous. Okay.
1: Yeah. HSV esophagitis is definitely a thing. And there are adults who are like, I didn't know I could get gonorrhea and chlamydia in my throat. I'm like, absolutely. Yes, you can. And like, what a huge disservice that we're doing to public health by not teaching this. And so I have this conversation regularly with adolescents and I'll ask the parents straight up, like, I'll ask the kid and the parent, like, do you want mom and dad to be here while we have this conversation? Because it's going to be a little scientific, but it may be a little uncomfortable. And like, You know, if I'm working with a 15-year-old and a parent, the question is, like, do you want to be here? Do you want them there? And we have this conversation together, and I've had both adolescents and parents be like, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally, I have been educating my doctors about, like, no,
0: it's not just immunocompromised people who can get HSV2 in their throat. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm a star. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Extra special guest star. No, it was it. Yeah, no, I'll be I'll practice being extra special. Okay, while you're here, can I ask you a Dr. Amber question? Absolutely. (laughs) I was speaking with a lady recently who is a full service sex worker, and she was telling me how they don't do fluid exchange, right? Mm -hmm. And what she sometimes also will point out to her clients is, which I didn't know, and I'd love to hear what you know about this. Is, you know, so dudes are not vaccinated against HPV. Not all pussy owners are vaccinated, especially if you're my age. Go check your health records, go check them, go check all your vaccination records, because I thought I was and I had to just check my records. There's risk for getting oral and anal cancers as well from HPV.
1: Absolutely. So HPV is one of the most common and ubiquitous viruses that's spread from human to human is through skin-to-skin contact. You don't need fluid exchange. It also
0: causes plantar warts, but it's different Mm -hmm. kinds, and they're very location-specific,
1: right? Right. So of the 150 or so strains of HPV, there are, I want to say, like 40 or 50 that can affect the genitals specifically. 16 and 18 are the most likely to cause cancers, and 6 and 11 are the most likely to cause warts. So not only is cervical cancer a risk, but HPV acquired through anal penetration, rectal penetration can cause anal cancers, rectal cancers acquired orally. It can cause throat cancers, head and neck cancers. And so this is one of the reasons that the HPV vaccination, the Gardasil 9, which protects against the nine most common strains of HPV, the nine most common high-risk strains of HPV, is now recommended for people up to 46 years old.
0: All people or only females because I have not heard of dudes getting tested or
1: vaccinated for it. So we don't have any testing available for guys unless they have evidence of warts or some type of growth or, you know, like... Throat pain, or like something on their vocal cords that's causing like voice fluctuations that could be an early warning sign of cancer. We don't test guys for HPV because so- it's expensive. Just there's no way. And we we don't vaccinate them. So the HPV vaccination has been recommended for boys for a number of years now. I can't even remember when they first started doing it. Because when the HPV vaccination originally came out, it only covered four different strains Mm -hmm. of HPV. And it was only recommended for girls, I want to say, between like 12 and 26 years old. And then the recommendations, like it was becoming so overwhelmingly evident that it was decreasing the rates of cervical cancer that the recommendation was extended to men and boys and penis owners to decrease the rates of penile and anal cancers because oh. who wants warts or cancer of the penis? And okay, maybe I didn't happen. know that because I wasn't asking the right questions to the right people,
0: but I just haven't spoken to any dudes who knew anything about HPV.
1: Men and boys and penis owners have been included in the recommendation for the Gardasil vaccine for a number of years now but it's only been relatively recently that the age limit quote and I put limit in quotes, Air quotes. Okay. yeah the age limit was increased to 46 and there are still a lot of women in their like 30s and 40s, and even in their early 50s, who were like, Well, my doctor told me that I was too old for it. Yes. So,
0: I, okay, I'm just going to out myself. I found out because of Dr. Amber, thank God, I checked my vaccination records. You showed me how to do it online, mm-hmm. public mm-hmm. health records in California. Yeah. And then I also looked them up from my university and my other doctor's offices. Wasn't covered. I have a false memory of getting coverage, and it must have been for something else. So, when I went to go get the series of shots, I had push back first on the phone, scheduling it. And I'm like, I'm only 34. Like right. I need coverage. Also, I'm very slutty. Come mm-hmm. on, you guys, mm-hmm. you know? And so that was very, I experienced that. And, and I'm someone who can advocate for myself and theoretically am good at paying attention to my sexual health. But you know, if I can skip it, you could, anyone could, I mean, mm-hmm. like if it's possible for me to make that error, I would just, I really want everyone out there, PSA, go make sure you're covered.
1: Right. And if your doctor gives you pushback or tells you that you're too old or that you don't qualify or your insurance doesn't pay for it, you can go to the health district and health districts are available across the country. I paid out like cash out of pocket for mine because Mm -hmm. I was like $300 per dose for three dose series is like more than worth it for the prevention of all of these different types of cancers. I'm like, I don't want warts Mm -hmm. And this is another reason why I think sex ed reboot is so important is because there are still doctors out there telling people that they don't need this vaccine and just assuming that because people are married that they're monogamous or assuming that because they're 40 years old, they've already been exposed to HPV. Well, yes, you very likely by 40 years old have probably been exposed to HPV. That is not going to prevent you from contracting a strain of HPV that is high risk and will result in some type of awful cancer. So right. I want to push back against that and I want to educate other doctors yeah. and be like, hey, this is something that you need to be talking to your patients about and don't assume monogamy. Yeah. Like we live in hookup culture like say,
0: like with the amount of people who do cheat and we have some evidence who I'm so curious what the real numbers would be. But it's like, yeah, our monogamy culture is not even very monogamous.
1: Right. And and I don't again, like I don't wanna shame anyone who like participates in infidelity because the reasons behind no. that are so nuanced and Absolutely. You know, just painting people with shame and guilt. You know, Esther Perel does a really good job in the state of affairs of talking about the nuances behind, like, what needs are being met from a relationship outside of, you know, a marriage or, you know, some other defined relationship. Like, what needs are not being met and, you know, what part of yourself is this other person revealing to you that you may have lost touch with that's very nourishing? So. Infidelity is a whole other different conversation, but the bottom line is… But it is, could be part of your confidential consult. It could be part of your confidential <laughs> consult. But the bottom line is is that from a health standpoint, a personal health standpoint, an integrative medicine standpoint, and a public health standpoint, yeah. like let's stop the transmission of these very preventable sexually transmitted infections yeah. through PrEP. HIV prevention, DoxyPep, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis prevention, and HPV vaccination. And learn to have the conversation with the people that mean the most to you or that don't mean anything to you, but you like to have fun with. Yeah. And I would also encourage people to
0: just like inspect your bits regularly, not just private parts, but also private parts. You know, I had someone I was talking to recently and had a good conversation, wanted to see what things would be like. And when it came time to get naked, there was not shaming, but there was like a full batch cluster of warts at the base, like on the pubic bone. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, that's, so that's, tell me about this. Mm -hmm. How long has it been there? What's the deal? And he's like, oh, well, you know, my doctor, we burned it off and then they came back. Mm -hmm. And I was like. Okay, so so I'm just not comfortable with that. That's HPV, like right? Like that's, yes, that's warts, and not to shame. Like again, I've had plantar warts. I had warts on my hands, warts on my mm-hmm. fingers, but also. I really want to encourage people to just like advocate for yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I'm the person that'll kind of err on the side of caution, not like a hypochondriac or anything, but I'll go to the doctor. I'll be like, is this spot? Is this a thing? Is this a skin tag? Is it ingrown hair? What do you think? You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and yes, and I know not everyone is comfortable doing that, but I also have noticed that the more comfortable I am leading conversations, I am met with a similar level of comfort, or at least I can see them trying, even if they aren't quite there. Right. And so I'm like, Oh, maybe that's part of the energetic soup recipe mm-hmm. that we can offer ourselves and each other,
1: you know, it's just that self-examination, you know? Absolutely. And warts aren't always visible. So the fact that it was in a location on the pubic bone that Good was point. like Thank God visible to it. you because those little suckers can hide in, you know – In a variety of different crevices in the What if I stuck my tongue inside
0: somewhere and then there Mm. it was and I don't
1: even know. Right. And then you're exposed in your throat to something that you picked up and it's skin-to-skin contact. Dang. Yeah.
0: Now, if someone is like me and they're like, oh, but I want to be slutty. Maybe I want to have play parties. Maybe I want to go, you know, I really... Limit the amount of fluid exchange mm-hmm. that I'm willing to do transmission wise, partly because I get colds very easily and partly because I'm, you know, I'm slutty, but I cover up my bit. Like, you know, I, I try to just mitigate risk as much as possible and find partners who are willing to play in risk aware situations with the most risk mitigation possible, right? For me, right. that's what makes it fun and comfy. And I also do receive a lot of, like, oh, but kisses, but kisses, but, you know, la. Ah. Mm-hmm. What do you think when it comes to like, I mean, it's HPV, like I'm, I'm HPV conscious, right? Cause mm-hmm. like kissing, that's it's skin to skin, anything, right? Mm-hmm. I will still kiss bodies. I will mm-hmm. put my mouth on balls and legs and thighs, but is that any different from actually kissing someone with saliva? So I know it's kind of an impossible question. It but, is a
1: little bit of an impossible question. So fluid exchange, I'm going to like take that as the basis for my answer. Okay. So in terms of fluid exchange, Yes, condoms, dental dams, laurels, latex underwear for performing oral on someone who owns a vagina or vulva. There are ways to mitigate risk in terms of fluid exchange, but I don't think that that eliminates the need to have a conversation about… About your status or eliminates the need for like for me, if I'm going to engage with someone like I'm going to have those questions and I'm going to offer my own recent results like this is like you can actually lay eyeballs on my most recent testing. And I think that, you know, on the question of play parties and this type of thing, like. I think it's very smart and conscientious of organizers of these types of things to request those of the people who are going to be attending the party. Even though
0: there are no HPV tests for penis owners.
1: Right. I mean,
0: HPV and HSV don't get tested for regularly anyway.
1: Correct. And HSV, like over half of the adult population has... Antibodies to HSV, and this is one of the the, like this is the reason that we don't include it on regular routine screening is because like if you had a cold sore once when you were three years old and have never again had another outbreak, like you're going to pop up positive for HSV antibodies, and that doesn't mean that you are at risk of transmitting it to a partner. But when someone gets a positive HSV result, whether it's one or two, like because you can get two in your mouth, you can get two in your perineal area, and vice versa, right. right? Like one is not better than the other, but just because you have antibodies doesn't well, mean that you're I think if someone's having infective. an outbreak down low, I think I imagine that would be worse. I feel very lucky that both of mine are in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Well, and but when people get a positive HSV result on a routine screening, yeah. there is an immediate reaction of like, "Oh my god, my sex life's over. I'm damaged goods," like and people will actually go into a tailspin. But that's of, an education
0: issue, not an actual safe play issue. And also there is asymptomatic viral shedding, right? Like right. regardless of what type you have, there's a small percentage of the time where even if you're not presenting,
1: it's possible that you could be shedding the virus. Right. Exactly. And that's how a lot of people become infected. Right. Is the, this Which asymptomatic viral shedding. me about that shedding. lawsuit
0: because it's like there's no way they could even prove that it wasn't something that was like dormant from a long time ago because that does happen too with people. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not to scare people, but I just, uh, there was a lot that I didn't know about HPV and I'm Currently trying to figure out what my practices are going to be because I'm like okay, so even if I'm limiting fluid exchange from from my mouth into bits or f- vice versa, if I'm putting my mouth all over somebody, in you know maybe I'm kissing the neck, maybe I'm kissing here, like a I could still be, um, and then again HPV is specific to where mm-hmm. it lives, but also if then the other person in our threesome is also kissing the body, mm-hmm. then there there could be still some exchange of things. I mean there's no perfect solution.
1: There's no perfect so it's about solution being I risk think aware. Right. And vaccination is a way of mitigating that risk, you know, from both a personal and a professional standpoint like if you're going to be engaging with other people on a regular basis, you will be exposed to HPV and HSV. Like it's part of the cost of admission for being a sexual human. And the only way to prevent those things or any sort of risk of being exposed to those things is to be abstinent. And for me and for a lot of the population, abstinence is like not an option, right? So like, you know, (laughs) but are you going to get HPV from kissing someone's neck or like running your tongue down someone's abdomen or, you know, like, Touching their feet or whatever, like is is the risk zero? No. Is is it likely going to infect you? Probably not. Are those studies going to get funded?
0: Absolutely
1: not. Also, how would would we write that study? How would we have a control? (laughs) Right. Exactly. And the evidence base is definitely lacking. And this is one of the reasons that I also like for anybody who's over forty-six and is like, but. You know, yeah. I just got a divorce and now I <gasps> kind of want to have my like hot girl season of life. You know, what does that look like? Should I get the HPV vaccine? My doctor told me that I'm too old. I'm like, well, you know, if I were you and I were 50, I would still get it. I got it at 44. Yeah. The The protection. risk to benefit ratio here is strongly in favor of benefit. protecting yourself. Great. I love that.
0: Anything else? that you're thinking about sex-wise, or any questions for me, or just anything else you want to share with us?
1: I think that the social prescriptions and the social paradigms are being changed in a very constructive way. And I am here for providing information and empowering people to ask for what they want and remind them that if it's not a hell yes, it should be a hell no.
0: Yeah. At least a hell let's wait. <laughs> right. <laughs> let's think about this some more.
1: Remind us where people can find you on the internet. So my website is www.artemisluxurywellness.com You can put confidential consults on there. It links out to my Patreon. It links out to my YouTube where you can find sex ed reboot recordings and I'm on Instagram at ArtemisLuxuryWellnessLV. Amazing. Dr. Amber Hull, thank you so much for coming back and
0: sharing your sexy updates. Thank you, Yoli, Lee, for having me back in your life.